to welcome everybody to Inspiration and Adaptation. Um, Asia Freeman, Artistic Director of Bunnell Street Art Center. And we've been hosting this um, dialogue, our podcast, um, for, gosh, over 35 weeks ever since pandemic began. It's been a wonderful way to um, connect our disparate and widespread community and to look at the different ways that artists are maneuvering these challenging times. I'm speaking to you from Homer, the uh, lands of the Nanilchik Village Tribe, land that's been stewarded for thousands of years by the Denina and Supiak people of this region. Thank you, Kanan, Chiknik, Kayana. We're committed to resisting colonialism by partnering with indigenous artists and supporting indigenous-led practices. Today, I'm delighted to have the Shared Universe Book Club with me. And um, just gonna invite people to um, mute their microphones when they're not speaking, just so we can um, kind of uh, maintain a good sound quality. And um, to welcome Shared Universe in um, a ongoing series of discussions about um, indigenous futurism, about the question of creating stories with authentic representation. I'm delighted to have an, a wonderful panel with us today. And I'm just gonna invite you all to um, help me out and to connect with our audiences by providing a self um, introduction. So um, let me ask if you would, uh, Nathan, for you to start out and just take about three minutes each to introduce yourselves and if you would, then kind of end your self-introduction with what question or what um, provocation really draws you to shared universe, to the work that you're all doing in this project together. Okay, uh, so hello, my name is Nathan Schaefer. I'm a digital media artist or new media artist from Anchorage, Alaska. Um, for the last 20 years, I've been working in new media, most of it here in Alaska, a lot of it also on the East Coast when I was finishing up school. In 2007, I started working in something called Locative Media, which turned into mobile augmented reality in 2008. So I was one of the um, first users of that form of art making. And then about 2009, I moved back up home to Anchorage and I started working as kind of what I consider an undercover conceptual artist. Nobody knew that I was living here, but I was making international new media art um, with the Manifest AR Collective. And um, slowly it started turning into publishing. I was hosting an annual um, mixed reality festival called Wintermoot that happened during the Ferrandi. And that started turning into a publication and comic books. And eventually, I started working mostly with with stories and collaborative storytelling. Uh, that was with the Centennial Project and then um, with the Dirigibles of Denali Project, which turned into this um, rebirth of sort of the Winter Moon Project as a comic book out of the Dirigibles of Denali things that we didn't use. Uh, what's drawn me to this right now is when I started making the comic books, originally it was just like this cool new media project for me. Um, the first person I actually was really talking to about it was Holly, who's, I'm so happy she's here today. Uh, and that was just a friendly conversation. And I started noticing that every friendly conversation I had with other Alaskans about this, it just became expansive every time. Um, so eventually that was, you know, Richard and David and Demi and Melissa. And just every time we get together, these ideas expand so big and they get so exciting that, um, that I don't even know what to do with myself with some of the excitement on that. So um, I just want to keep living in that space where I get to hear this little group of people talk about what's interesting to them. That's me. Wonderful. Thank you, Nathan. Um, since uh Nathan just mentioned how important you've been to the development of this project, Holly. Um, it's wonderful to have you with us. 
Would you provide a little self-introduction and tell us about what draws you to this work? Sure. Um, my name is Holly Norbaum, Ovanga Akaval Metitpuk. I'm um, Inuit uh, or Inupak from Kotzebue, and I've lived here in Anchorage. And um, uh, Nathan and I would uh, get together and meet for coffee and then spend hours having coffee and just chatting. And uh, it's kind of a nice way to be a part of a project is not having to do anything but give them ideas. <laughs> I do graphic design and um, traditional tattooing and, and not much illustration, although um, we've talked about doing something together with that. Um, and then I've been doing a lot of public artwork here in Anchorage, but what's really great about working on any collaboration is working with people you enjoy. Um, and that's what brings me to this project is just having coffee with Nathan and being able to talk out ideas and, and joke and just be ourselves. And I think, um, I often don't feel like an inspiration, but, um, feel silly most of the time but um, it's always lovely to see what comes up from our discussions so that's why I like being involved thanks thanks so much mm -hmm. Holly so just moving around the, the room here Richard welcome hello thank you yeah I'm Richard Perry um, I am uh, as Nathan had shared uh, I kind of uh, found my way uh, thereabouts to uh, communicate with Nathan, and we worked on a short story for his uh, Dirigible Tales. The title of the book, Nathan? Uh, Dirigibles. That one was Dirigibles of Denali. That was just the science fiction omnibus. Yeah. So working with him on that, uh, before then, I had been mostly working on plays as a playwright uh, and uh, doing some journalism, mostly with the First Alaskans Magazine and uh, the Anchorage Press. So I'd done a lot of mostly nonfiction and uh, fiction is something that, uh, you know, I, I kind of have always been interested in as a story listener. And the collaboration that uh, I enjoyed as a playwright, I found uh, similar uh, and uh, is just as rewarding with uh, the group that we're a part of now, where we're talking about and sharing about stories and trying to get the best authentic voice that uh, we can find out of each of our stories as kind of a, a vehicle for us uh, telling, telling our various stories. And it's super exciting. Um, and I'm, I'm really happy to be a part of it, uh, especially having the opportunity to connect and uh, have some time with, uh, you know, such great artists. Uh, every Everyone I meet, you know, uh, it's just an amazing pool of talent and uh, I'm, I'm so pleased to be a part of that. Thank you, Richard. Pleased to have um, you with us today and um, happy to welcome to Demi Machera. Demi, um, Tell us a little bit about how you um, got drawn into this project and what motivates your your yourself to do this work. Um, yeah, I've always been into uh, art, illustration, art, comic books, uh, cartoons. Um, I've I've always had you know I've always my biggest dream has always been to to do uh, comic books professionally. Um, I'm a Chickaloon Village tribal member. I was. Uh, attended the first two years of the Yanni Da'a Chikulun Tribal School. Um, a lot of the projects I've worked on were based off of some of the, the legends and the stories that uh, my grandma taught us growing up. And along the way, I found some really neat opportunities to work and collaborate with storytellers, um, not limited to Alaska, but um, indigenous storytellers and uh, recreating some of these ancient legends using you know this modern more modern form of artwork and um inspired by you know comic books or japanese animation and uh i've, I've been really lucky and fortunate to have you know had some some really great projects and collaborations and successes with those um so more recently i'm living in seattle i've 
been self-publishing and uh, creating my own comic book stories and, um, you know, promoting our, our books, my collaborator, my writer and I at uh, comic book conventions. And more recently, I started working on a new story, a new project that was inspired by the, the stories that my grandma passed down and that my mom, Patricia Wade, would tell those stories um, around, around Alaska at different schools and different gatherings using the artwork that I'd done for some of those Yanni Da stories in uh, PowerPoint kind of modern storytelling. Uh, it was like modern storytelling with, with art. And that inspired me um, to want to create something that was a little bit like that, but my own creation, my own version of a Yanni Da'a story and modernize it a little bit and, 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 and add some elements of, you know, of, of the world that we live in now, but really try to stay true to the heart and soul of what those stories meant um, for all those generations. And I began work on this new project and it was almost like the same moment that, uh, that Nathan reached out to me and explained what he was working on and his idea for creating this, um, uh, this collaboration, this kind of art collective around similar artists that want to tell similarly authentic stories, but maybe in more of a science fiction contemporary way. So basically it was the, the, the perfect timing for my project and to meet Nathan and to be introduced to the rest of this team. And um, this past year we've been exploring topics and, and discussing ideas and working on our own separate projects. And uh, I'm really excited to be part of this team. Um, I'm excited about the projects that the project that I'm working on. I'm excited about the projects that we will eventually be able to collaborate more on and really bring this uh, into a shared, into an actual more of a shared universe uh, type project. So thank you for having me here. Thanks, Demi. Thanks so much. And uh, welcome, Melissa. It's wonderful to have Melissa Saginoff with us as well. Good morning. Hey, I'll, I'll keep it brief. Um, so, Wally Jen, Melissa Shagnos is at the line, you just use Koykera Eslan, Naitini Ana Kayak Sansiaden, artist, as curator, communicator, Gogeshna. Chenan Kotan was at Eslan. It's good to see everyone here today. It's good to see the team. <laughs> uh, it's been a little bit since we, we've been all been, see, been able to see each other. And uh, yeah, you know, um, I'll just, you know, just say that I, I really echo all the thoughts really of, of our group, you know, from wanting to create uh, an, a more authentic representation of, of what it means, you know, to tell indigenous stories in this way, um, to create something that's a bit more shared, you know, even in family, Demi. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think, um, the idea too that uh, that writing and that storytelling uh, can happen in a way that isn't just about a single person, that it's about a group coming together and evaluating um, these ideas. Uh, I think that this is a real, this is like returning, and I think I've said this before, but this is really returning to a, an indigenous kind of way of storytelling and developing stories and teaching that uh that it's not about authorship or or a single superhero it's about a lot of people coming together to um tell a story that's kind of real <laughs> even if it's made up so yeah uh i i do a lot of different things but so far my role for the most part has been um working you know pretty closely with the team on uh dene representation dene language um and making sure that that is something that is uh coming from lived experience so janan and uh yeah i'll leave it there thank you melissa we've got a lot of other wonderful folks in the room today and if and anybody else would like to 
speak up or, or share a question now or along the way about what draws you to this conversation, just know that we're really delighted to have you and, and welcome your thoughts. Does anybody have um, something that they'd like to share about what brings them to this conversation? All right. Well, we're going to um, jump into book one today. Uh, Nathan's got pages queued up chronologically, and he's going to take us through um, book one in the Winter Moot series. Are you ready to do that, Nathan? Absolutely. All right. I'll just start sharing my screen. Uh, yeah. As I'm getting there, I, I want to say the, the Winter Moot comic book stuff was a marriage of um, a mixed reality festival I was holding in Anchorage during Ferrande, but it was also the Dirigibles of Denali, which was a bigger collaborative project, um, where we took the three dome city proposals that were in Alaska from the 60s and 70s, and we built them with augmented reality. And then a team of 10 Alaskan authors wrote science fiction set in those dome cities. And we had so much material uh, and a lot of collaborative material that we just didn't use in the five books we produced for the Dirigibles, Dirigibles of Denali show uh, that we just started turning it into a comic book. And this was kind of the first iteration of it. There was a lot of writing that went into it. Um, and this is kind of where I'm, I'm going to be saying Holly's name a lot because at the time when I was doing it, we were, you know, it wasn't quarantine and we were able to have coffee pretty regular. And, um, she, her, her, uh, tattoo project, um, I, I, I guess the two big me, but, um, uh, it's, it's just such a large, expansive project. And, um, uh, for my money, I think that's the best project to come out of Alaska in the last like 50 years. It, it's just when, when you sit and analyze what that project actually is, it's, unbelievable like the depth that it has so when I would be with Holly having coffee just talking it was it was just uh, friends making jokes and talking about art and enjoying um, the, the conversation about art and it's, it did actually get serious a couple of times and I found that the more I kind of listened to whatever she would offer even if it was casual it made, it was a better decision for everything I did. So I'm going to be saying her name and giving her credit and I'm, I'm going to try not to embarrass her, but um, there's a courage in her and her work that I really uh, admire and wanted to, to have that much. I don't think I'm ever going to have courage like that or, 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 or be able to um, exist in a space that way, but it was super inspiring to be around uh, for, for my part. And hearing her talk, I actually rearranged everything to begin the Wintermoot comic books with an Inupian superhero, mother-daughter superhero team, um, which is what's on the cover here. It's um, Ogpik is the mother and Mars Apple's the daughter. There's a lot of different reasons for the names, which I'll get into, but uh, in the Dirigibles of Denali project, there was this fictional video game we wrote about um, that had, it was called the Chichaco Wizard Suicide Runners. It was a, a racing game set in Anchorage all the way down to Kisilov. And in the video game, there was a, a villain named Cloudberry Woman who would show up and try to uh, knock people's cars off the Seward Highway as they were going. So this is a fictional video game. And in the comic books, or the comic books started with her as a, not a villain, like she was in the video game, but as a, a superhero. And I was working on all the designs of the stuff. And I mentioned to Holly, I've got this idea for an Anupiat superhero named Cloudberry. Um, I, I would like for her to have tattoos on her face. What would what would be the appropriate tattoos? And in the conversation we had, she very gently and very kindly made mention that uh, if this was a superhero, she wouldn't call herself Cloudberry. She would use the Anubia word. 
for for Sam and Barry, which is Ogpeg. And um, I had all these graphic designs queued up for Cloudberry, and I just didn't use it because this was better, and it made the character more uh, just deeper and more satisfying. And Nathan, to, I want to interrupt you and ask yeah. two things. Um, Holly, would you talk about why she wouldn't go by Cloudberry? And would you go ahead and advance to the next screen? Nathan? Oh, yeah. Well, in, um, can you hear me? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I was, we were just having coffee and I was being my opinionated self. But in my own life, uh, as I'm trying to, decolonize the way that I approach art and life. Um, I try to use language. I always say that um, our own language, Inupac language, and I always say that if we're not using it, it's going to be gone. Like this is the generation that if we're not using it, it's gone. And um, I must say it 10 times a day when people name their kids or name their dogs or, you know, name anything that we should be using the language. Um, and Nathan just happened to catch me at a time where I was on my soapbox. <laughs> so um, I do think though, Akbek, uh could be that word. I'm not, I don't use cloudberry uh, or salmonberry anymore. Like the words I, I would rather um, use Akbek, uh, in my own just to keep the language alive. And I, I think we have to do that with all of us with um, every word we can mm -hmm. in our Thank own you. languages and yeah. Thank you, Holly. So Nathan, go ahead and advance some more as we, you know, we'll be trying to get through this whole book. <laughs> in this, I, I'll be going pretty fast once we mm -hmm. get it a click. Um, Here we go. So the story starts off, um, kind of where dirigibles of Denali left off. So the three dome cities and in these comic books, those dome cities exist and people live there and uh, you know, there's superheroes that are there. So, and I also decided to start playing with the idea of tropes in how superhero stories are told and how Alaskan stories are told. So there was um, a lot of discussion with people about what is a uh, pan Alaskan or pan-circumpolar storytelling format that wouldn't um, get into like cultural property, but just ways that stories say transition between different parts of the story. Um, but in Western cultures, and especially in comic books and movies, this idea of apocalypse or like the eschatological, the, the end of the world, everything's the technological singularity. Like there's just this obsession with the world coming to an end and, and it permeates everything. So I came up with this super ridiculous concept of apocalypse that's just a constantly repeating apocalyptic cycle of things. Um, so I said it in 1994, which was actually the year the internet became available to everybody or to the mass public. And there's gonna be this huge war of superheroes that never gets shown or really talked about. It's just sort of this, the, the big thing of the whole Winter Moon stories is not gonna be about this battle where people fight an apocalypse. That's sort of um, like background radiation. Anyway, so the story starts off at the, in the middle of that section and Ogpec is dragging, um, a superhero who's unconscious, who's actually the white superhero in the stories, who's this guy right now, right here. Uh, his name's Anchorman, and he was uh, a hero and anchored for a while, and he controls gravity. Um, but he started going by the term sourdough as as time sort of went on. And I, I should mention too, Ogpec, uh, and I'll get this at the end of the book. I kind of describe her situation, but she's got this very um, kind of undefined set of superpowers that manifest looking like Ogpec. In, uh, it's connected to something called the Berryverse, where she's able to travel between realities by eating different berries or being in different berry patches. Uh, so it starts off in space with no up, down, or in between. And then there's also this whole series of dialogue that's completely blacked out and we don't know who's talking to who. There's four different languages being spoken in um, 
these redacted boxes and the the world of Wintermoon is kind of being built in these things. So what are what are the different cultures? How are the cultures being used in a science fiction setting, in a superhero setting? Um, what are the the things we kind of look to to get examples of, of say superpowers or whatever? Um, so as the story advances, Ogpik is actually being followed by her daughter. And Ogpik is, um, here, I'll go back up here for a second. The villains right now are space flies, which are just, they're, they're flies, the size of flies that are living in outer space. And they have these very strange time traveling, reality bending powers. And some of them have gotten into Ogpik and she's losing her memories and she's going unconscious at the same time while she's trying to drag this guy through open space to a, a space station. Um, and her daughter is following her and she's losing her memories of her daughter as she's traveling. Um, the daughter has similar powers to her and we kind of get into that a little later. Her daughter is also uh, much more, her representation is gonna be much more of a science fiction kind of thing. And she has these um, vehicles, they're called Cyberingian vehicles. But in the world building, um, the Beringian places we turned into an ancient simulation, which is one of the tropes in Pan-Alaskan storytelling is sort of this ancient, I, want, I don't want to say technology, but the, there's civilizations more ancient than the one we're currently living in. And so these vehicles are, are um, they're cyber engine vehicles, so they're half virtual, half biomechanical. And she's connected to this sort of thing. Anyway, um, the superhero loses consciousness as she's uh, dragging this dude. Things start falling into place. She's trying to bring back her memories or, or to recall them to, to keep moving. And eventually the flies grab her glasses, which are these uh, snow goggles, which is how she experiences a lot of the reality that she switches between. And she starts falling to earth. And I'm going to stop here in a second because I'm cover I feel like I'm covering way too much stuff all at the same time. Um, but she's, she's falling to earth and she's unconscious. And with the last little bit of waking breath, um, she goes into the simulation and then right here, this next page starts with her being buried in the simulation. So as she's falling into the earth, she goes into a, a, a virtual world, an ancient simulation that is recreating the civilizations in the Bering Sea um, in real time. And it's also got kind of a video game fantasy logic that's going on. Um, okay, I have a question, and this is this is probably for for really anybody in in the shared universe or in the dialogue that feels equipped to answer it. But I'm I'm curious if and what it is about indigenous cosmologies in this instance, maybe a nucleic cosmology that that makes it conducive to the you know the graphic novel the comic book format even the 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 kind of science fiction elements of of time space continuum what's what's similar about time space continuum in indigenous cosmology that to to this sort of time that is portrayed in the story that makes it makes it work it makes it the appropriate format to tell a story this way Richard, I'm just going to call you out. What do you think? Well, I don't think I have anything um, as far as a traditional kind of background mm -hmm. um, myself, but I think uh, as, as part of living in Alaska, we have a lot of night sky. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, the northern lights are particular 
extremely, uh, you know, impactful if you've ever seen them, you know, uh, with your own eyes versus, you know, seeing the photography, which is, you know, awesome itself. Yeah. Um, okay. But I think uh, it's, it's the, like a lot of things, I think that are Alaska Native uh, life ways, I think it connects with where we're at and uh, what our experiences are and our shared experiences. Um, and, and that's a big part of it, I believe. Yeah. Demi, when you were growing up and hearing stories from your grandmother and going to Yanni Da'a school, was there something about the stories that reminded you of um, sort of more modern methods of story sharing like time travel and comics, futurism? Did it I think I think originally uh what really drew me to those stories, what really connected for me was the was the characters and was the anthropomorphism. I think that's how mm -hmm. you say it. Uh, the the way that the the people would communicate with animals and vice versa, and how the the animals had characteristics of people and their personalities. And I was um, obsessed with uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as a kid. So when I would hear those stories, and when I try to draw those stories, I would. I would anthropomorphize the animals in a similar way where they would become, you know, human-like, human-like characteristics. I think it wasn't until later on when I really started exploring um, the stories and, and trying to figure out how I wanted to tell my story. And, uh, and I think Nathan's comic is a perfect example of this, how it, uh, sorry, one second, how it uh, takes the, the, the format of the native storytelling, which is a bit non-linear, which is a bit removed from say like Western narratives. And I th I'm looking forward to the, to, to exploring that concept and how these different characters and timelines can interact because the way that, that traditional, you know, uh, traditional Alaska native stories uh, are, are told a lot of times they kind of break that linear beginning, middle, end formula. Um, and I, I think that the science fiction lean, the science fiction twist on that, there's so many possibilities. Like there's a lot of potential. And, and reading, you know, Wintermoot and seeing like some of these, some of these timelines and how they converge and how the characters are sort of like in a non-time space continuum, like you said, um, it's it's just like the perfect example of that and building a building a shared universe where we can all have these different characters and stories converge uh i i just think that there's so much potential there for that mm -hmm. thank you melissa what would you is there anything that you would add to that well i think that, that demi really hit hit it on the head when he said that it's a non-linear sort of perspective on time and perspective on even our expectations as a viewer and like because i think that in so many ways we we've heard that sort of like oh this is this is the backstory this is like setting us up for the story but it's not really that it's kind of setting setting us up for this whole point of view you know realizing that there's this sort of re-apocalypsing thing that's always happening and i think that in some ways, it even puts the viewer in the position of of listening to the story and just kind of having to make these sort of stretches as you're listening. Because I think I would listen to like Yanni Da'a stories, and as a kid, I'd be like, "Well, when did when did animals stop being like like when did animals stop being people?" You know, and 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 it was it was always kind of told to me like, well, they still are. They always are. Oh, it just always is. It's that's what happened. It's 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 Bassini. It's Sagani. It's all these things. You know, they're 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 people and they're characters and um, you know they're they're just part of life. There's like kind of this separation from uh, all these sort of like um, concepts that we or, you know, preconceived sort of concepts that we subscribe and being like, oh, these are our superheroes. It's like, actually, it's, it's, it's spread in a different way in, in Wintermoot and in Indigenous storytelling, right? Um, I, I think I just, yeah, hopefully that was yeah. clear. <laughs> okay. Yeah, absolutely. Holly, anything that you'd add about, you know, traditional stories that 
for you really makes them fit into um, comic book time space travel and continuum? Um, I'm thinking about that. Um, only that the connection is um, very innate, right? Like um, as an indigenous person, you just have to accept, the, as Melissa said and, and Demi, you just kind of accept this um, lack of structure because um, that's just how we learn and how we, we hear stories. And um, this idea of the, the you know the universe and um is is part of every indigenous um culture the the storytelling uh it's included and i think it just uh lends itself to that however i i do like the cartoon like the the comic book element as i've always been a fan of demi's work um even long ago because it connects to you so directly mm -hmm. and um and and of course they're interested in in the the cosmic yeah, yeah. thank you thank you nathan proceed <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> i don't want to talk after them this, this is why it's like so incredible um just, just all the different uh viewpoints so it, i mean i gotta be very like honest about this dirigibles of denali took like three years putting together uh and it was very slow in, in coming in and just but all the conversations that kind of coalesced into this i i was really wanting to do it a different way but um it, it kind of became this thing where I, I really needed to show people what i was wanting to do collaboratively before mm -hmm. we could get to the point so i i, I feel like I, I really like this for myself, but I, I feel like the really good things are still kind of yet to be because now we've we've got a language we're building together, uh, which is why I wanted to stop here initially. Is the the idea of an uh, ancient simulation called Cyberingia is is one of the pathways that Demi and I are going to be using for collaborative storytelling, where there's different realities that characters access. So some of the characters in say my Wintermood stories are from Demi's world. Like that's where they came from and they came over into mine and they exist here now. And it's not like, that's not the whole point of the thing. It's just, it's this way of, of bending the realities together. And that was one of the things I love, not just Alaskan stories, but um, they seem to be like pretty much all over the circumpolar North. Uh, this ability to just bleed between realities so casually and without a lot of backstory. Like you, if you go underwater, the likelihood that you come up upside down and doing this other thing. And now you also have these kind of abilities or the, the sun is now this color. It just, the, the way reality can just switch on a dime without explanation. I, as an artistic aesthetic thing, it's so beautiful. Like it's so great, and we don't have an equivalent really in in Western culture. Like it's it's a very non-Western approach. And um, I, I don't know. There, there's a lot of like super great things about that, and I would I would like a lot of Western storytelling to just start. I, I think we do see a lot of the changing, say, with basic stuff on representation, maybe not so many misogynistic stories where it's always a princess being saved by some heroic dude, uh, but just the way we use villains, what, what's good, what's bad. Uh, that's something that's really big in Northern stories too, is this, the differentiation between good and evil does not look like the way Western societies differentiate between good and evil and you know that's that is a larger conversation on on what those things actually mean, but um, it, as far as like making comic books, it's very interesting to have those inside of it, and it gets even way more interesting when people making the stories are, are culturally connected to it and are talking about it. Um, I, and I, I hesitate to use the word authentic 
but I mean, I, I guess that's kind of what it is, but of uh, an experiential, like Demi and Melissa in, in Holly too. Um, a lot of times when I'm talking with Demi and Melissa, they'll, they'll say when I was a kid, this was something we saw. So it, it was an experiential thing as a child, taking those Yana Diaz stories and, and there's a, there's a marriage of them to, to mm-hmm. the world they experience, the world they see every day, you know, the touches, tastes, smells. Yeah. Um, so it's th- a great little side conversation that's going on here that I just wanted to point out. M- Melissa, Richard, and Amber are commenting on um, some of these powers and forces that move between and are shared in stories. Melissa, did you want to share your point that <laughs> that's so interesting about um, transformation. Oh, I kind of meant that it's like a little bit of a joke, but there's like, there's, I think that it forces like indigenous storytelling forces you into this place where, um, you kind of, you, there's like a trust between, there's a trust in the action of telling the story. So you, you're telling a story and like, oh, you know, there's this couple and they're a beautiful couple and, you know, they're going to go make a house in the water and all of a sudden the, the wife dies into the water and she's an otter you know, and then there's just like, oh, there's just a belief. And the husband's like, oh, that's surprising. But okay, I'll go to her otter house, you know, and go to her otter house, you know, and like, um, or actually, I guess beaver house is, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a, that kind of, like, like Nathan said, you know, I'm just really just reiterating what what Nathan is saying. that, That this is like a really special imaginative thing that, that, uh, happens very uniquely, but across indigenous, you know, stories in Alaska, you know, and that's, uh, yeah, it's nice to be able to talk about those things. And there's a certain equivalence to a kind of superpower in the sort of Western sense that translates really beautifully or naturally. Yeah, yeah. But I think that in some way, though, it's, it's, it's 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 switched into a more casual casual way you know it's just like it's the everyday it's not it's not the person who's like who's the superhero who's the individual you know um you know no one else is like him and that's what makes him special that this is a sort of a normalized thing you know um yeah i hear you i love these conversations so much like they're just so um it's so amazing. And then it's just making me go back to some of the other ones, the things I know that we're working on that haven't, that, like there's no visual for it yet. Uh, but the equivalencies of, of, of all these things that are going on, because it, it's so, like there's just so much thought put into the background on how we do this. And and, and we want to be very careful. Um, and then like, it's, it's also the, the cultural responsibilities where you don't want to have cultural appropriation, but you do want to have representation and you do want to have from from my point of view as a, as a white man i work with tons of kids in north anchorage the the, the a, a wide variety but um a, a lot of the um the native kids like that i work with the representation when i show them like yana dia comics that demi made they go like bananas for this stuff it's it's so it it just it it assumes into them so there's this idea of representation that's almost a responsibility i think for the people who are capable of talking to children to to not shy away from it even though you're gonna have to have some really awkward heated conversations with people about culture because unfortunately um (laughs) It, it's just, it's not a, um, a simple thing to discuss. So. I, okay, that is really cool. I just want to pause there for a moment and ask um, Holly to talk a little bit about the line between cultural appropriation and respectful representation. Like if there's a vulnerability here and I, I'd like Nathan to speak to that after, but if you, if you could just talk about that a little bit, and then I see Amber has some thoughts, so maybe we can just develop a, a little um, bit around that idea. See, what Amber's saying is spot on, eh? It's a trust-based relationship, and that, um, that's important. 
uh, also having like if a non-indigenous person is making a comic book um, having that culture represented in, in in at least a discussion is like the baseline of what somebody should do and not everybody does that they just kind of take right and then they published and they they uh, they they sell their comics and and we don't see the the rent <laughs> right and um uh this this idea of trust-based relationship that amber's talking about is spot on like i i know nathan's heart is in the the right place i know he works in education these are all things that i also am passionate about working with native kids and 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 um, yeah, but the question was about appropriation versus a, versus representation. Uh, representation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that. Yeah, yeah I hopefully I answered that question. <laughs> Amber, is, is there anything that that you would add that's sort of like encouraging or reinforcing from the perspective of cultural values um, and respect that that um, you know encourage you about this kind of work? and the kind of um, position, you know, like that Nathan's sort of um, exploring here. I, I would just um, add that, you know, from the perspective of a person who's reconstructing a lot of things within um, my own culture, I'm, you know, I'm constantly sending things that I'm making to people and asking them, what do you think of this? Does this make sense to you? Does this sound right? And asking for input and like trying to make all of the, um, I'm doing outreach right now for health education. So I'm trying to make all the outreach as culturally accurate and representative of more perspectives than just mine. And I think that when you're, uh, when your work is really based in what you're making, like it's just so indigenous to be asking each other and like sharing it saying here what do you think of this and and really thinking about what people have to say so i i think that this is so cool that to see this um from the other side see like what communication went into it and i think that that only adds um more more strength to all of the work so um, I, I guess I'm just in agreement with all of the things that are being communicated here and thinking about just thinking about more ways to to um, more ways you could collaborate. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Amber. All right, Nathan. <laughs> Thank you. I like the way this conversation's going. It, it, and I also like that I don't have to like keep scrolling through all the images. Those were like some just incredible concepts or, or things that we talked about. And I also want to reiterate, which are, maybe I didn't bring it up. Um, the way we set up the comic books at the beginning was that they're all going to be like kind of living documents. Um, so one of the things, especially uh, to, to use Holly was uh, like people that aren't from the culture, but they come and take and then they profit very easily and readily from that culture. There's another thing that they do, which is also maybe not talked about much, which is they don't edit. Uh, if somebody from that culture comes to them and says like, hey, that's not how we do things. That's not a word. That's not a concept. You're putting another uh, person's culture on us. That's not whatever but then um then the non-indigenous person or whoever doesn't change any of it they're like i already wrote the book i already made the movie i already made the tv show that's done you need to get over yourself like that's there's this um it's it's, it's a vestigial colonial way of thinking that's not moving as a culture into the 21st century it's it's still very vested in this idea of um white ingenious authorship in the artistic world um that we're, we're, we're like the harbingers of the perfect example on how to do things artistically um so i knew going into this that i was going to get a lot of cultural stuff wrong because the cultures are living cultures so especially like say spelling 
the Anubian words in the Quark dialect, that's not like a soft issue that people are kind of casual about. They're pretty specific about how they want those things spelled, and it depends who they are, you know, and how they want things done. So I've made it a point since the, we can do these things digitally and with augmented reality. If somebody points out something that's incorrect or not accurate, or uh, say even considered racist, like using the E word now, um, it is a living document. It will be changed and it will be documented within it who changed it. And it's not like a woke competition. It's just like, that's the way we need to do things. Very simply, if it's wrong, you fix it and you acknowledge who pointed it out and give them a space to say why they pointed it out. End of, end of the thing. Anyway. Um, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, since we only got like a few minutes. Th so this is um, that simulation, th this virtual world where Agbek is sort of living and there's no straight sense of time. Eons can pass very quickly. Um, so this is kind of what we're going through here. And then there's a bunch of giants and magic and teleporting and all that kind of stuff. And eventually, Ogpek, her her body was in a glacier, and now it's in a whale. And these Beringian folks who kind of have this almost Yunungan kind of style, which is a whole other set of stories I'll be talking about later, because we have uh, some Yunungan characters who are part of this simulation story we're working with David on. Um, but the whale is kind of, there's something really wrong about it. So the people throw the whale back into the ocean, like they just want to get rid of it. Uh, and then that's when the reality starts breaking again, you know, sort of that slipstream between what's going on and uh, down there it's in halibut territory and they're kind of upset that the people threw this big dead whale down on top of them and it, it kind of goes into that animal world. So uh, to extract their revenge, they decide to uh, inflate the dead whale with burps and farts, and then they send it up to the top of the ocean where it fly, it, it takes flight and it's flying through the air. And then it, as it hits the end of the simulation, it, it explodes. Um, there's this amazing word in Inupiatan, uh, the Puptikuk, which is uh, the name of a stinker, like a dead whale that's um, decomposing. Um, so some of the, yeah, I, when, it, when I had uh, some speakers break down what the different words were, it was kind of like this wonderful visual I kept getting on uh, the words for an expanding gas in a, a dead whale that nobody's using. Anyway, so uh, it explodes and she's there and she's now kind of on this magical island and she starts coming back into the world and this is where we start introducing things that are connected to what we call the Berryverse, which is going to go into Demi's books a little bit too. But um, basically it's just that there's all these different berries and all these different realities and they appear here and there. And when you go into berry patches and if anybody's really spent time on say the tundra places out near Bethel where it's very flat and the tundra could go on forever, uh, you can really get lost in these small, areas that are just so infinite with um variety it's kind of this mind-boggling thing anyway so that was the the basis for that and she eventually leaves this sort of fantasy world and goes into the dome city world so a sci-fi world and this is where we start coming back into all the collaborative storytelling from the dirigibles of denali stuff and um we start to meet the daughter. This is also, I, I distinctly remember Holly and I were having coffee and I was trying to show her all these uh, drawings where I had half finished this thing. And it, also this is my first comic book I ever made. So I was teaching myself how to do all the, the digital man manipulation of the colors and stuff. Um, and I just remember distinctly that Holly at this point started, she was like, the, the, the colors are cool. Um, but just as a, a a friend as an art friend and not a criticism or anything, just like, I really like looking at the drawings as the drawings. You need to have the drawings uh, 
readable as just drawings and not these digital things. So I, I started internalizing those. Thank you, Holly, was one of the best pieces of advice. Um, so this is a sci-fi story. It's set in, in those dumb cities in the future. She meets a guy who ends up having superpowers. She starts running airships between the dome cities. I named her airship the Nelvana, and Nelvana is actually the first superhero out of Canada. Uh, an Inuit superhero was the first superhero in Canada, and her name is Nelvana. Um, there's a lot of problems with the comic, but it was sort of a nod to that history. Um, and then we start going back into this fantasy world. Ogpik's daughter, Mars, is connected to a lot of uh, Northern Lights powers. So in the stories, I took that um, Western culture also really likes binaries. The fire and ice is a big thing in fantasy thinking. Um, for some reason, that that holds some sort of weight. So I, I picked a binary for Alaska, which was glaciers and Northern Lights, which is sort of this, um, I don't know, Alaskana touristy kind of way of approaching it, but I decided to just set that up as a, a binary. Um, so those are gonna be a whole other set of stories later on. And then this weird thing shows up. It's a space elevator made out of driftwood and ice that's existed for 300,000 years in the North. And it was made by this uh, strange race of little people that live in the Northern Lights, basically, who've had an advanced technology for thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years. And uh, they started trading with the humans. And I know that sort of got weird, but all of a sudden we're now in a space adventure that just kind of abruptly stops. And I know we've only got like a couple minutes left. And then at the end, um, I do a simulation story, which uh, a lot of people, when they've looked at the comic, this is the section that they like the most. So this is that mother-daughter story, but Ogpeg's mother and her sisters, and they end up being a whole other thing. But um, this is the story about how she sort of gained her powers, sort of an origin story. And it's set in the back. Um, there's some cool visuals, the flies come back. There's a lot of reason for uh, picking a villain being uh, a small insect that I could get into later. But um, I kind of feel like I've talked myself out on this one. This was um, where I started going into just showing the drawings. Like I wanted to end, since Holly, was so quintessential in how I actually put the story together. I, I, I don't know if she realizes like how deep it, it, it affected me, the things she said, the advice she gave, or just those little bits. Like I really, um, it, it took a lot of, of willpower to not be constantly messaging her or calling her up. Like, I wanna know, please talk to me about this. Like I, I really tried to, to hold it and, and to think about it. As, as much as possible. So since I started with advice from her, I, I wanted to end with advice from her and just showing the drawings. And then um, it kind of started turning into all the other comics we have now. So this was the first one. And I remember I was most excited to give a copy to Holly out of everybody else. Like that was my, my first thing I wanted to do. Stop it. That was the first thing I wanted to do. Wonderful. <laughs> so, you know, as, as we're kind of winding up this hour, I'm thinking about um, a lot of different things, but I'm, I'm most especially thinking about this time, you know, in which we're really exploring or should be exploring, you know, structural inequities that have been, you know, sort of um, revealed uh, to, to a larger culture while, um, you know, to to American culture, broadly speaking, and to colonial culture worldwide. Um, at least it's in the fore of consciousness for some of us. And I wanted to, you know, ask anyone who might wish to weigh in, um, what, you know, what can indigenous values and practices offer in the, in the work of healing? Or, you know, what, um, what in particular comes about through this, perhaps it's um, 
related to cross-cultural collaboration that contributes to better world building. Any comments from anybody about that? It's such an immense project that you've taken on, Nathan, but you have a lot of, <laughs> you have a lot of supporters. Timmy, what are you thinking? Um, I'm going to wrap it up here soon, but I wanted to answer a little bit my, my thoughts on that question. Uh, a lot of what, what I've done um, with, with my career up so far has been based around, um, you know, cultural and retelling cultural, uh, you know, stories and themes. And I really think that this is an opportunity, not only as a creator, um, to tell really interesting stories, but to learn and to learn about myself and working with Melissa is like such a great opportunity to learn more about, you know, my heritage and my culture. Whereas I wasn't paying attention as, as much when I was attending Yanida school to like language studies, I was more buried in comic books. Um, I think that there's an opportunity here to reconnect with, with, you know, my culture, other people's culture and learn and, and, and use my, my skills or use my art as a way to, to teach, to teach others about that culture, the way in the same way that I'm learning about it. So I'll leave it at that. I've got to jump out of here, guys. Thank you so much um, for the opportunity. Uh, it's been fun. I, I love working and hearing, you know, from you guys and, and seeing all the artwork that's, that's being made. Um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank so you so much. Lots of questions yeah. for you in future conversations. So yes. Okay. I look forward to it. Mm -hmm. Big love, See you, man. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thanks. Bye Nathan. Bye. What does anybody else want to respond to that question about better world building through, um, collaboration, cross-cultural collaboration. Any thoughts on that? Um, you know, I just want to respond, you know, because Demi mentioned me, I think that as, as much as I've been thinking about this and I don't know, and this is maybe a group conversation that we should be having before I say, but we, I think like in shared universe, like we all have like roles that we're filling to support each other and how we do the work that we do. And I think that that's like the, the best, pr you know, promoting of healing and, you know, cross-cultural healing um, because you have, you know, very conceptual, thoughtful people like Nathan who are saying, I want to do the right thing. And, you know, it's not about this extraction of saying like, well, okay, I'm going to bring Melissa in because she can give me this. It's Nathan was very much being like, hey, it's like, I don't know how this is going to work, but do you want to like be friends? <laughs> and I think that that's, um, that's like really special, right? That's something that we've talked about at Banel before that, uh, that, uh, that, that healing and um, appropriate collaboration starts with relationships. It starts with who we are as people and our intentions and leading with those things and um, stretching ourselves in ways that, uh, that, we, that we, we didn't expect and be willing to change and to make corrections even if we've illustrated a whole book, right? Nathan, <laughs> Nathan is always willing to be like, oh, it's like I finished it. And he's like, oh, no, I haven't. And I'm just like, how can you, how can you do that <laughs> with like, no, I'm sure there's pain in it, but um, you're very gracious in, in those things. Uh, you know, I also think that it gives us the opportunity, you know, working with Richard, hearing Richard's sort of, sort of stories of, of, of your, 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 aunt your aunt who yeah um you know creating from a place that feels almost like a calling you know i think that that yeah my, my grandmother your grandmother okay yeah your grandmother you know um yeah i think that we're still defining the roles that we have within our group and within our sort of communities this is much more than about putting out books uh, not that that's not important and worthy but it but it is more yeah from a from a my perspective i'd like to add to that and share that 
for the audiences, and I like to think that I'm part of the audience, and I'm sure the others have to speak for them. They're a part of this audience as well. Um, and, uh, you know, however you want to call it, uh, we are present as Alaska Native people in our various cultures. We're here, and I think that's one of the more powerful things about uh, what we're doing and what we're trying to share is that we provide uh, a venue, an avenue for a, a, a place to share our narrative, our stories that uh, comes from a real place. And as a collaborative effort, I can't see anything more just or more good <laughs> to uh, be able to be a part of that and to listen to the stories because for for those that you know, like myself, when I moved here in 2004, just learning about who I am and the Alaska Native, you know, part of my my family. Uh, learning about it is is important, and there's a lot of people who share in my experience that they're as an adult picking up their culture and learning about themselves at the same time. And seeing your voice and your face in the media is such an important aspect. And I have, I feel an obligation uh, to share my story and to share other stories and perspectives because that narrative, that voice is what's gonna bring us visibility to the greater whole. And, and that's important. Thank you, Richard. I wanna thank you all for such a rich conversation and I'm so glad that we'll continue it. You know, I, I, if, if anybody has something that they'd like to add, I'll hold that space, but I want to say that at Benel, we're committed to continuing to hold a space over more of these conversations and more meetings of and expansions of the shared universe. It's a great project. Super exciting. <laughs> Can't wait for people to see some of the other stuff. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that next time. And thank you, Nathan, for all this and being so open um, and giving me way too much credit. I just no, I didn't give you enough, actually. No, you gave me too much credit, and you're you're doing a great thing, and I love it. Oh, I love, love you. you. Love you. <laughs> I love you. Thank you all so much. Have a have a I, great day. Bruce, did Bruce have some? Yeah. No, I just wanted to thank. Oh, you were waving goodbye. <laughs> just wanted to thank you guys. Mm -hmm. Always lovely. All right. Yeah. Take care, everyone. Stay well. See you soon. <laughs>